Um, we're going to look at Psalm 73 this morning, but let me just pray for us, and then we're going to dive in and just see what God has in store for us in this passage of Scripture this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, God, that you reveal yourself to us through this word. And as we unpack Psalm 73 this morning, we ask, God, that your spirit would speak to us. And for some of us, it may be that, boy, we're in the, in the thick of difficult times, and so this is going to be really appropriate. And for others of us, God, it may be we don't know what's looming on the horizon of our lives. And so it's so practical for us to spend the time in your word learning from you where we're at in our own journey right now. And so, God, we ask you to speak to us. We open up our hearts to you, and we look forward to just sharing these uh, moments together. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As a young teenage boy, I spent my summers uh, playing baseball. And uh, still love baseball, I love the Blue Jays, love watching it, uh, love the fact that they're in Chicago right now at historic Wrigley Field this weekend and have watched a couple of the games, bits of them. And, and um, when, my, when I was growing up playing baseball, the thing that I loved the best about it was that as I got older and, and the skills began to increase in the players that we're playing with, um, I was a back catcher and so I loved having the pitchers who um, could throw beyond just a, a fastball. And so when they began to have control of things like a curveball or a slide or a changeup, I loved it because I knew the batter was sitting there and he was waiting for that ball to come right across the plate. And I might give him a fastball, but, but boy, when we got to two strikes, I was looking for the curveball because I wanted him out. And so uh, I could see that pitch coming down the, the track and, and it looks like it's going to come straight down there. But then just before it hits home plate, when I've called that pitcher to give me a curveball and all of a sudden there's that sudden change. And the batter is not ready for it. And he may give some kind of half-hearted swing at a ball that's now out of the strike zone, or, or he may just back away because he thinks it's going to hit him, but then it curves right across home plate. Man, oh man, that was such a great feeling for me. I, I just love seeing him flounder. I, I love seeing him out. And, you know, as, as I got older and, and began to see that, you know, sometimes actually in life we get curveballs, I, I didn't find them quite so enjoyable then. You know, because I saw that thing coming down and I was ready for it in life, but then all of a sudden it was like, that is not at all what I expected today. As I was researching this, I came across this true story about um, a small town or a city in uh, Taiwan called Tainan. And on January the 17th, 2004, a 66-ton whale washed up on shore dead. And so the townspeople had to decide, well, what are we going to do with this thing? I mean, we got to get rid of it. It's, it's dead on our shore. And so they got their committees together and, and they decided, okay, well, we're going to haul it off and do an autopsy. And so this process took about two weeks. And so finally the day came when they had the cranes there and they were going to lift the whale up onto a flatbed and haul it out of town so they could go into an autopsy on it. 56 feet long, 66 tons. This is a big animal. So as it's going through the town and all the people are lined up to kind of watch this great expedition of the, the whale exit town, uh, it's hitting some bumps in the road and, and all of a sudden, the whale explodes. Now, that's what I just simply call a curveball. <laughs> Nobody in Tainan, Taiwan that morning got up and said, I'm going to stand on the street corner this morning and I'm going to get absolutely covered in whale guts. 
they didn't get out of bed with that thought. They got out of bed thinking, I want to watch the whale leave town, but the curveball came as the whale exploded. And that really is life, isn't it? And if you've got your Bibles, and I trust that you do, turn with me to Psalm 73, where there's this guy named Asaph who uh, pens this psalm for us. And uh, as I've been working through and, and kind of trying to figure things out in this, uh, just reading what the scholars have to say about it, there's a lot of different thought on what this is about. Now, there's some scholars who believe that... Um, that this is a lament, a complaint, a writing from the heart where we just kind of write out what's wrong. Some say it's wisdom literature, which indeed, obviously, it is. And some say that it's actually a psalm of thanksgiving. There's some scholars who say that Psalm 73 stands at the theological center of the book of Psalms, which I find quite fascinating. Because when you look, it's 150... Uh, books long, or 150 uh, aspects to it in the, in the book of Psalms, and, and they say that this one sits right in the theological center of the entire spectrum of the book of Psalms. Interesting. Interesting. As I was sharing with my wife Sue this past week about uh, my preparation and stuff, she said to me, hey, well, you know, you got to listen to Tracy's message from last Sunday at Willow, and I wasn't here, and, and so uh, I don't always listen to my wife's suggestions, that may be shocking for some of you, but it's true. But on this occasion, I did. And so I went online and listened to her message. And I thought, isn't it fascinating how it's almost like there's somebody who's over top of this whole sermon thing. Because I feel like what Tracy did from last Sunday to, to for me is that she's handing me a baton that we're just sort of connecting the dots for us in the study in the book of Psalms this summer. And so you're going to see some connections if you were here last week. And if not, then I encourage you to go online and listen to Tracy's message as well. So let's go through the psalm and just read it in its entirety. And it is God's word, and so I think it's helpful and, and beneficial for us to read God's word out loud. And so I'm going to read it through, and you can listen, and it'll be on the screen there for you to follow along. Psalm 73, starting at verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, and I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride its their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. And from their callous hearts comes iniquity. And the evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. The increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I'll speak thus... I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I am always with you. 
You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have, have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, and you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good, for me, good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds." Psalm 73 verse 1 opens up with this perfect statement about who God is and his character and this idea that God is good to the pure in heart. We need to affirm that statement that Asaph made. God is good. It's fundamental to our understanding of his character. And the reason why we need to affirm that is because when I make that statement and agree with it that God is good, it actually has practical implications in my willingness to trust him. Because if I don't believe that God is good, how am I going to ever take my life and put it into his hands? I'm going to doubt. I'm going to, I'm going to waver. I'm going to say, no, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, maybe not. And so it's important that we come to this fundamental belief that God is good. Because if we waver here, we're not going to trust when the curveballs come our way in life. We'll get more to that in a moment. Asaph goes on and has this whole circle of thought that we're going to get to near the end of the psalm, and over the next number of verses, he's going to walk us through his observations, just from a practical life standpoint, verses 2 through to 12, talk about how, yeah, God is good, but there's some stuff going on here that doesn't make much sense to me. The wicked are prospering. But Asaph makes it clear at the start, God is good to Israel and to the pure in heart, and we're going to unpack that as we move along. Now, verses 2 to 12 tell us very clearly that trouble looms when our hearts kind of begin to wander. And that's what happened to Asaph at this point in the psalm. So he starts off on solid ground, God is good, this is important, but now as I start to look at things... Boy, oh boy, you know, my heart's kind of wandering here because I'm making some very clear observations. And what this passage actually reminds us of is how important our perspective is in our spiritual journey. What happened? Well, Asaph began to move away from the truth that God is good and began to just concentrate and view the world through his own set of eyes. The wicked were prospering and it caused Asaph to almost stumble. One commentator said in regards to these verses, he said, there is an intimate connection between the heart and the feet. So in other words, wherever my heart tends to get me thinking, my feet tend to take me spiritually in that direction. And so if my heart begins to look at this world and say, hey, this isn't fair, this doesn't make sense, I don't see how God could be doing this, then my feet are going to take me in that direction and it's not going to be leading me into the presence of God. And so let's see what Asaph says. Well, he began to envy the wealth of the wicked. According to verse 3 and following, his heart and his mind were no longer focused on God, but they were focused on the practical things that he could see in his life, in his world. One preacher paraphrased verses 4 through to 12 this way, and I thought it was so good that I actually wrote it out. Listen as, as you hear the paraphrase of these verses. And I quote, So this is how life really works. 
These godless people, they live on easy street. They don't face the hardships I face. They live longer. They play more. They get away with everything. They wear this power-hungry, cutthroat, cynical attitude like it's a coat. They are self-promoting, anti-God, and worldly. And they are the ones that are getting a slice of the pie, not me. You try to honor God and stay humble and do good, you're going to have a tough, mediocre life. You live by lust, by power, by greed and deceit, and you're going to be a celebrity. God is good to the pure in heart. Ha! Wow. Sometimes it can appear that way, can't it? Here we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, saying, I'm trying to line my life up with the Bible, but I'm not getting very far with this in life. I'm not on easy street. I'm not on the, on the easy road, the pathway that seems to be overflowing with abundance. I tend to be on the hard road. But I look at my, my associates, my neighbors, those coworkers of mine, those people I know who have no faith in God at all, and man, they look like they're really got it good. What's that about? Well, one writer put it this way, and I quote, he said, Asaph ceased being concerned about the sin of the successful and started focusing instead on the success of the sinful. Let me repeat that for you. Asaph ceased being concerned about the sin of the successful and started focusing instead on the success of the sinful. Huh. You see, if my heart takes me down that road, my feet are going to follow, and I'm going to end up in a place that's not going to be a healthy spot for me from a spiritual standpoint. Because I'm going to focus on, on the things that I see that, that just seem good to me. And I focus on the success of others rather than the concern of my own spiritual journey with God. And it's here that the spiritual battle is fought in a very practical sense. It's here where it becomes increasingly more important for you and I to be into God's word when we look at life around us and say, it's not making any sense. But instead of ignoring this at that point in time, we need to dive into it because it's actually here where our good God is going to meet us. Hmm. Our enemy wants us to clearly see the success of the unrighteous. Look at the people who have no thought of God. They're doing so well. Focus your attention on them. Make important life decisions following them. Hmm. And don't look at God. Look at the results that you can see with your own eyes. The word we're looking for here, I think, is simply the word envy. I see how the wicked live, and I'm envious. But let's also be honest about what we're reading here. Asaph wasn't pretending. Asaph is actually, in these verses, being very honest. And I think as Christians, sometimes we can lean towards this idea of sort of trying to sugarcoat things instead of actually being honest and say, I'm frustrated. I don't like the curveball that was thrown my way. I don't like the hurt that I'm experiencing. I don't like the news that I got from the doctor. I don't like the reality of my financial situation. I don't like where my kids may be at. There's a lot of things that we need to be actually honest about in our journey. But 
but we also need to move on as Asaph did. It's okay to be honest, but then we got to get to verse 13 and following because, you see, our heart is actually home in the presence of our God. That's where we belong. Perspective on life changed for Asaph when his attention got refocused on his God. See in verse 13, he says, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. And then he gets to verse 17. And we need to be so thankful for verse 17. Because he's so honest saying, I'm frustrated. I don't like this. This isn't working. And then he says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. Life wasn't making much sense as I looked at it this way, but when I finally bowed down and entered into the presence of God, all of a sudden there was a new clarity that happened for Asaph. It didn't happen while his eyes were focused on God, it happened, or on the world, it happened when his eyes became focused on God. Hmm. That's a lesson. Listen to me. For Asaph, life began to make sense when he worshiped God. You see how important this gathering is that we do on a week-to-week basis? Because it alters our perspective. We're out there in the world 24-7. We're blessed with so much. We have so many good things. We have things that, that are out there with us, but... If we allow that to simply be the way in which we interpret life and live life and see life, we're going to actually miss the mark. And so we need these gatherings like this on an ongoing basis in our lives because like Asaph, until we enter the sanctuary of God, until we enter that time of worship again, it's so easy for life to get out of focus. Our heart is at home in the presence of our Savior. And so the lesson very clearly is when life doesn't make sense, take an active step of faith and go and worship your God. Notice I didn't say when everything's going smoothly, when when all is well with your soul, When life is just lining up and every step is just a good step, go and worship God. Nope, it's actually the opposite of that. When it's not making any sense, when there's perhaps pain all around you and and you're hurting deeply because of the experiences of your situation right now, go and worship. Bow before him. Like Asaph, just say, God, I'm not sure that any of this makes sense but I'm making a choice, and my choice is I'm going to bow before you. And I wish I could promise you right now that by that act of obedience and faith that all of a sudden everything would get better, but I'm not going to promise you that. What I will promise you is that God will meet you there. I'm not saying everything will be fixed and the hurt and the struggles and the difficulties will all be gone. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that in the midst of those hurts and difficulties and challenges, when you take that step and say, I'm going to worship God, he will meet you there. 
So when we get that curveball thrown our way, take stock of where we are and also take stock of what we're thinking. And if necessary, at that point in time, make the decision to say, I'm going to realign my life spiritually speaking and bring it back in focus with God. Because that's what happens to Asaph in verse 17. Don't be afraid to be honest. If life is unfair, say it. If things hurt, acknowledge it. If you don't get it, just be honest. I don't get it. He admits to what his eyes have seen, but he doesn't stay there. So let's unpack the last section of Psalm 73. The ongoing struggle really is this focus for our heart. In verses 21 through to 26, before spending quality with time, Asaph had made some wrong conclusions. He says in verses 21 and 22, he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He was being honest, but it wasn't a good situation ultimately for him to stay there. He doesn't get here without spending his time with God though. You see, if we skip this time with God, then the first part of the Psalm simply is our perspective. The discipline we need to remember is that when life throws those curveballs our way, the best thing we can actually do is to get into the presence of God. And so we get to verse 23. And Asaph begins to wind things up here. And he says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Wow. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Now, you and I, if, well, those people that are visiting from Saskatchewan, I know there's beauty there as well, but let's just say for those of us who live here in Kelowna, we're abundantly blessed. Now, we can simply allow that to be the focus of our lives and, and um, enjoy all that. But when we actually turn and look at that in relationship to our Heavenly Father and say, you know what, Cologne has got so much, but I want to be living with verse 25 as my real life experience. All of the beauty of Kelowna, yeah, I want to enjoy it and I'm thankful for it, but it pales in comparison to the truth and the reality that the biggest and best thing that I've got is my God. Earth, Asaph says, has nothing I desire besides you. What a statement to be able to get to in our personal journeys. And that's not saying we don't enjoy the things that we have around us. Yes, enjoy them, they're blessings, they're good things but make sure they don't become the focus of how we see and live life. The focus for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ is our Father. It is good to spend time in the presence of the Almighty, my friends. It is from this position that the psalmist can look at the world and make the great statement of verse 25. It isn't denying all the good things that are around us or saying we can't enjoy them. That's not what the psalmist is saying. But what he's saying is that from a comparison standpoint, 
there isn't anything in this created world that would supersede my creator. My heavenly father is the one that I truly desire because he's the best of all that this world has to offer. Wow. He concludes by stating that God is his focus and he's going to tell others about him in the following verses and the end of the psalm. On Friday night, um, I got a text from one of my pastors in Saskatchewan, actually, and um, he was telling me about a situation that had just happened with uh, a gentleman in his church who was on a motorcycle trip here in BC. And the trip came to a real bad end when he hit a moose and then went off down an embankment and crashed into a tree and was airlifted out of Castle Gar and ended up in Kelowna. And so my pastor friend says, uh, his wife and daughter are flying in late Friday night. I just wanted to let you know. And I said, can I pick them up at the airport? He said, well, I'll give you their contact info. And so he did. And so I arranged to pick them up at the airport on Friday night just before midnight. Got them in the car and told them we'd go to the hospital and tried to help in whatever way I could at that point in time, not knowing what I was going to receive into my presence in my car because obviously this is a serious curveball that this wife and daughter has been thrown. So when we get in the car and we're driving from the airport over to Kelowna Hospital, I'm asking a few questions, and the wife begins to tell me about her devotions, her quiet time with God this past week, starting last Monday through to Friday, how she just sensed that God was in the midst of preparing her for something that she had no idea what it was until the phone rang late Friday to tell her that her husband had been in a car accident and all of a sudden she said it was just clear. God had been letting her know that he was with her every step of that journey and was going to continue to be with her. And as I dropped her off and we would talked a little bit about Psalm 73 on that ride, I was just amazed again that in the midst of life, when those curveballs come, how incredibly practical it was for her from last Monday on to making sure that she was having her own quiet time with God because a father, a heavenly father, knew that something was going to happen that following Friday and he wanted her heart to be ready. Practical. Practical, practical, practical. Spending time and getting the right perspective from our Heavenly Father reminds us again and again of just how important it is that we would spend time in the presence of the Almighty and then for us to come together as a family and to worship. Until I entered the sanctuary, Asaph said, the sanctuary of God, until I got together and worshiped, until I came together and and bowed before the Almighty, it was then that life began to be make a little bit of sense. It's just a reminder this psalm is of how practical it is for you and I to assemble like this and to bow before God and to get our perspective again realigned to the realization that, hey, there's nothing in this world that I desire besides my Father. And I don't know when the next curveball's coming and so I want to make sure that I am ready via the truth of his word that I can withstand when that curveball comes and it just doesn't totally destroy me. It's practical. 
the team's gonna come up and lead us in a concluding song of worship this morning. And again, the song's so good because it's a reminder of how important it is that we would bow before God. And so today, if life is good, bow before God. If life is a struggle, bow before God. If your heart is hurting and broken this morning, bow before God. Worship him. Whatever our status is this morning in our own personal experiences, it is good for us to humble ourselves and take a step of faith and bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and worship him.